the way that we think about ourselves really has very high consequences. And it's always so interesting to me that we have all this public health knowledge, and yet that is not yet infiltrated that space. You know, when we know it's actually as dangerous as smoking, as dangerous as social isolation, as dangerous as not exercising or meditating or whatever it may be that keeps us healthy, how we feel about our own aging is up there. But we don't talk about it as a public health crisis. We don't talk about it as something that can affect everybody. But we have the data to support that it is. Hello. You are listening to the Late Bloomer Living podcast, where we are reimagining and redefining what it means to be in midlife, where we are gathering energy, momentum, and excitement for our next chapter via candid conversations with other midlifers about their own pivots, pitfalls, and triumphs. I'm Yvonne Marchese, your host, and I'm so happy you're here. Adulting can be hard, but you don't have to go it alone. I created this podcast to give you inspiration and let you know you're not alone in feeling stuck in midlife. Both men and women are welcome here, but if you are a woman, I also invite you to join our Midlife Uprising community for women where we are making waves and reimagining what it means to age. Being part of this community for women will remind you on a regular basis that you're not too old and it's never too late to do that thing you've been thinking about. You can find more information at midlifeuprising.com, and I hope to see you there. Hello, my friend. Hey, I wonder, do you have an image of what your life is going to look like when you're 70 or 80 years old? Are you retired or still working? Do you see yourself out in the world having adventures? Maybe you see yourself playing with your grandkids. And where do you see yourself? Are you still in the same home? Here's what I'm getting at. Do you take the time to think about it? Or do you avoid thinking about it? Because it can be scary to go there. You might be worried because you don't know if you'll have enough money to retire. Or you're worried about whether or not you'll be healthy. Oh boy, you might be thinking enough already, Yvonne. I haven't had enough coffee for these kinds of questions. I'm out. Wait, (laughs) don't go. These are questions that are worth asking. They're not easy questions, but I believe they can set you free. Because once you start looking at what you fear, you can start making choices that leave you feeling empowered instead of feeling an impending sense of doom about getting older. I mean, just the word old is packed with negative meaning. It may as well be a four-letter word. (laughs) Today, we are going to unpack many of the unexamined ideas that I think most of us have about getting old. I have an amazing guest for you today. I'm so excited. Her name is Tracy Gendron, and she is the author of the book, Ageism Unmasked, Exploring Age Bias and How to End It. Tracy is an associate professor and chair of the Department of Gerontology and the executive director of the Virginia Center on Aging at Virginia Commonwealth University. She has a Master of Science in Gerontology, a Master of Science in Psychology, and a doctorate in Developmental Psychology. Tracy had an epiphany about her own attitudes towards aging that led her to write this book. She realized that she had her own unexamined and unchallenged negative attitudes about aging. And when she realized that, she felt compelled to take a deeper look and start to challenge the ideas that are so widely accepted that we don't even stop to think about them. One of my favorite quotes from her book is her definition of aging. Here it is. Aging is a slow and steady process of change that ultimately leads us to becoming our unique individual selves. Okie dokie. Without further ado, here's Tracy Gendron. Let's go. Hey, Tracy, thank you so much for being with me today. Hi, Yvonne. I'm thrilled to be here with you. I'm so excited. It feels like it's been a long time coming. 
Yes. It took us a while to get here, but we made it happen. (laughs) We made it happen. (laughs) Thank you so much. So I want to acknowledge that I found you originally through Ashton Applewhite, whose work I just love, and through my friends, Cecilia Dentino and Hannah Starabin with their podcast, Twisting the Plot. And I did get your book and read it cover to cover. And it was one of those books where I found myself taking note after note after note. (laughs) Yeah. 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 There's, there's a lot to unpack in there. There is, there is. Um, So I think what I want to ask you first off is you have a a master's degree in gerontology or are, are you a practicing physician So, oh, that's a great place to start because a gerontologist is different than a geriatrician. So a geriatrician is the MD and that is the um, type of physician that is, you know, trained and has expertise to work in geriatrics with older people. A gerontologist is a master's level trained. I do have a PhD in developmental psychology, but the terminal degree for gerontology is a master's degree. And we study holistic, biopsychosocial, spiritual aging. So we're in positions like administration, some people in direct service, doing research, doing education, a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, We make really great team leaders because we understand not only that your body changes over time, but that your psyche changes, your sense of emotions change, your relationships with other people change, your sense of spirituality changes. So we see the whole person and we see aging as a developmental process. So understanding that when you're working with or advocating for or talking to somebody that is older, they are the the culmination of their life's experiences. So it's really looking at the whole person. So that's a gerontologist. Love that. Thank you for that clarification. What brought you into the field? What what was what made you decide that that's what you wanted to study? Yeah, there there are a couple things. I think the the most straightforward and easiest answer is that I had a very close relationship with my grandparents. Um, I write about that in the book, Nani and Poppy. I grew up seeing them once a week, every week, and they were incredible role models for me. I think that and that I've always had this natural affinity for being around older people. It's always a space where I have felt at home. Um, So I think those two things together, it was just a place that was really natural for me. And then when I was a senior in high school and I was a terrible student in in high school. I did not care. I would rather party than study. It's actually amazing I made it through. There's but hope for everyone. There's hope you, for I, I, everyone. I'm, I'm looking thinking of the book that you've written and <laughs> and how how incredible it is and the, the insights and the 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 research that went into this and and wow there's help for all of us. There, okay absolutely cool. <laughs> we find our way at different times and in different ways. Um, but I did have a psychology teacher the senior year and she was the first one that ever brought up this word gerontology. And when she did, something clicked in me because she kind of couched it as, look, there's a growing population of people that are going to be older. It's just going to continue to grow and there's going to be jobs. And then it was like, oh, that's a thing I could do. So those kind of came together and lit the fire for me to pursue gerontology. Very cool. And then you had a switch flipped for you I believe from from what I remember and, and what you wrote in the book. And I think I have a quote I can look at here that you had an epiphany. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm looking at this. The epiphany that I was not self-identifying as an aging person subsequently provoked a new question. How had I failed to see the extent to which I held unexamined and unchallenged negative attitudes about aging. Can you talk about what led you to the epiphany? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's very, it was a profound moment for me. So as a gerontologist, people will often ask, you know, why? Just as your question, why do you become a gerontologist? And I had this standard canned response to it. And it was like, well, because I wanted to gain all of the knowledge I could biopsychosocial so that I could best 
work with the aging populations, that I could best serve the aging population. And that was my canned answer until one day I went, wait a second, why am I using the term aging to talk about older people? I am aging. We are all aging. Why am I othering myself from my work? And it it was like, you know, smoke was coming out of my ears because it was so profound. It like shook me up and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's ageism. That's internalized ageism that I am disassociating with that. And that moment really led me on a path to say, I have to understand this more, especially as a gerontologist, I have to understand this more. So it just kind of cracked this open for me, but that, that was the moment. And we see it all the time that we talk about aging as if that means older people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. I had my own epiphany that came from my forties being uh, a particularly challenging time for me. And I didn't realize that until I was approaching 50 and I realized that I was, I had low energy, real trouble focusing. Um, I felt angry a lot. I felt lonely and I felt like a failure and I didn't have a lot of hope for my future. And I started doing a lot of looking into self-help and uh, listening to podcasts and reading books and things like that and realized that I needed an essential mind shift. Like mm-hmm. I need, I needed to change things up. And I thought it might have to do with some of my habits. A lot of it had to do with hitting the snooze button in the morning mm-hmm. and starting off my day frantic and trying to get the kids out the door and feeling like, why can't I get myself together? I'm almost 50. What is going on here? Um, so I gave myself a 30 day challenge to get up before my kids and meditate and exercise and some other stuff. And I can't tell yet. It it was really hard, first of all, because I am not a morning person. So when I finally did do this, I committed to it and kept it going for a few weeks and I was feeling so much better. Yeah. And my kid even noticed. He didn't know what I was doing, but he said to me, you seem happier, mom one morning when I went to wake him up and that blew me away. And that feeling better, I started to get hopeful Mm -hmm. about my future. And I started to think, wow, if I feel this energetic now, I haven't felt this way in, in so many years. If I can feel this good now, what might be possible for my next 20 or 30 years? What, what might I do with that time? And that's when I realized that was my epiphany is that, oh my gosh, I've been telling myself I'm getting old every time I look in the mirror and telling myself it was too late. Yeah. Mm. You know? Wow. So profound. I mean, it's, yeah, it is crazy. And sharing those aha moments are really important because I think, you know, changing the way that we feel about this and creating this path to aging is something that we can look forward to. Aging is something, as I always say, that's about a process of becoming. We're always becoming who it is that we're, you know, developing into. It's a profound shift for most people. And every time we share our story, even it affects one person, there's a ripple effect with that. And then that one person will impact somebody else and somebody else. And I think that's how movements grow is one person at a time through one conversation at a time. So, you know, I love that we're starting off by making this really personal because I think this is personal. This is about our own life, our own health, our own longevity. Personal thing, you know, ageism is real, but the, the worst form of ageism, I think, is the form of ageism that we inflict upon ourselves. Yes. Yes. And we have, you know, decades of knowledge, thanks uh, in part to Becca Levy, who's done, you know, a lot of the work on this, Mm -hmm. that, you know, it leads to really poor outcomes. The way that we think about ourselves really has very high consequences. And it's always so interesting to me that we have all this public health knowledge, and yet that is not yet infiltrated that space. 
Mm. You know, when we know it's actually as dangerous as smoking, as dangerous as social isolation, as dangerous as not exercising or meditating or whatever it may be that keeps us healthy, how we feel about our own aging is up there. But we don't talk about it as a public health crisis. We don't talk about it as something that can affect everybody. But we have the data to support that it is. And I just don't think people are aware that they're doing it to themselves. That definitely not. I call it the most uh, in, uh, visible, invisible <laughs> influence that's out there. Right. Yeah. Oh my it gosh. is so under, it's everywhere and it is practically invisible. It's because we've me, normalized it. Yes. It's making me think of this. The, I took a trip to a party store. From my mom's 80th birthday was coming up and we were having a surprise party for her. And I was traveling out to Phoenix to go see her. And I went to the party store thinking, oh, what can I put in my my suitcase? It'll be low profile and then I can pull it out at the party and it'll be a surprise, you know. And I and I went to the party aisles and I found the over the hill section. <sighs> and and I'm sitting here looking at all of it with in, in horror, really. And some of it was not really like negative, you know, and and so I did pick up a couple of things to bring to her. But it was very funny as I was standing there contemplating all this and taking pictures of things like caution over the hill, old, you know, different. And I'm thinking about this and this guy rounds the corner and he's probably about my age, just guessing to look at him and looks at me and laughs. And he says, looks like we're going to the same party. And I turned to him and I said, you know, actually, I'm actually kind of horrified by all this. And he just yeah. stopped like dead in his tracks, looked like a deer in the headlights. And he goes, oh, I get maybe we won't talk about that. <laughs> and we both just started laughing. And I and I then I tried to make him more comfortable, but I totally scared him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I bet. Especially when someone's like, I don't understand, you know, why. Why is this making you uncomfortable? Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Party supplies, birthday cards, you know, that that's one of the the most egregious because it's just everywhere. And it's like, isn't it funny? You're getting old. How horrible for you. Now you're gonna, you know, be grumpy and have to wear diapers and you're gonna forget everything. Ha ha ha. Let's right. celebrate. It's like, oh my, my gosh. <laughs> terrible. Terrible. And I I bought into all that stuff for a long all time, do. you know? Yeah. Can can you talk about, I love in the book, you talked about a time that you used subliminal cueing. <laughs> I'll let, you know what I'm talking about. I, already, I know exactly you? what you're talking about. The pizza episode with my yes. dad. <laughs> That's funny. A good friend of mine um, who I grew up with just finished the book. And that was the first thing she texted me and was like, oh my God, I remember when that happened. I was there. I was like, yep, you were around then. Yeah. So, and this is my dad who's, you know, my dad. So he's, he's quirky in his ways, but yeah, it was this experiment of like, if we kind of bring up all these words that have to do with pizza all day long, like pie and slice and like, ooh, hot melty cheese or without saying I want pizza at the end of the day, will he be like, I really want pizza pizza for dinner. I've been thinking about it all day. And that is exactly what happened. So it was really funny. We're like, we totally planted this, but it does show you, you know, when you're not aware and these messages are all around you, they get in there. You're not even making a conscious choice to let it in there. It's just floating in the ether someplace. So we had delicious pizza that night, but all of these messages about ageism and anti-aging and looking young, and we've grown up with them and they have been totally unchallenged until about the past five years or so, five, 10 years. So of course it seeps in there and we don't, we don't question it. It just yeah. becomes, well, that's, that's normal. That's what you do. That's what yeah. you think. It's the fish in the water and the yep. one fish says, nice, nice water today. And the other fish is like, what's water? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I don't oh understand. My, oh my goodness. Yeah. It's so, so mind blowing. Um, I want to talk to you about the idea of, or the definition of successful aging. Mm. Because yeah. when I started down this road, uh, I got inspired to start the podcast because of what you were talking about, the sharing stories. The whole idea was to share stories of people who had 
come up against some sort of wall in midlife and then felt stuck in some way and then had a transformation and how that worked for them and what they did. And, and all with the idea of like, it's not too late to change. It's not too late to reinvent yourself. And I think I was leaning heavily in the beginning towards the idea of self-improvement. And as I've gone down this, this meandering path I'm on, I'm looking more and more at, well, what does it mean to improve ourselves, number one? And number two, one of, one of my goals early on was, okay, I'm going to stay healthy. And, and that is still, it, 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 Frank, absolutely still, like I want to keep my body moving so that it stays moving. I, I do believe a, a body in motion stays in motion. Yeah. But does it mean I'm not successfully aging if something happens to my body that is where I'm not healthy? I mean, you know, what if I lose my sight? What if I lose my hearing? Those are things I don't have any control over. Yeah. And it's all tied to ableism. Yeah. And I yeah. definitely, I mean, this is all just like, oh, every time I look at it, it's another little bombshell, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And this one is, um, you know, I'm still peeling these layers. I'm still trying to kind of figure this out. This is an, an area of research for me now is this intersection between ageism and ableism um, and trying to understand the definition of both, but also, you know, how they interact with each other. And it is complicated, but what I've really come to is that aging itself is complicated. So there are things that are within our control. And we do know that your outcomes related to health and longevity is much more about your lifestyle than it is about your genes. Genes is maybe 20, 25% um, of what contributes to that. So we do wanna motivate people to have good, healthy behaviors. And that is eating well and moving and you know all of those things. So that's one piece of it, but at the same time, we are mortal and we are naturally going to experience decline and change in our bodies. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just part of the experience of aging. So how we talk about aging as a whole and that it is holistic and it is contradictory, meaning it's about decline and it's about growth at the same time, and that we can be successful and have happiness and purpose and joy and goals while our body is changing with any level of decline or disability is a place that, you know, I think we need to strive to get to. And this, this whole concept of successful aging, which was actually developed initially to push back against ageism in a mm -hmm. way, because mm -hmm. people would talk about the elderly as if they were this monolithic group of frail people, as if they were all the same and recognizing the heterogeneity of aging, that everybody ages differently in all areas, um, and that we continue to, to grow along with it, they push this concept of successful aging to say, well, there's a lot of people that are living independently, that are active, that are engaged, those are successful agers, quote, successful agers. Mm -hmm. And I get the intention of it, they didn't realize at the time that that would slip right into ableism because when you define someone or something as having success, it means the other someone or something is a failure. <laughs> and I think that's where the ageism slipped right into ableism, where it's like, well, if you don't maintain independence, if you're not physically fit, if you're not cognitively intact, then you're not successful. And not only is that not, you know, realistic, um, I think you know, we have the power individually to define success for ourselves. And I think that we also have the power to change that definition over time. I think a lot of people get stuck mm, in that. I love right? that. Yes. So yeah. it's like, if I am in my forties and I have a hobby, which is ballet dancing, let's just say, if I can't dance when I'm 80, I won't be successful but you're really projecting what you is important to you now on your 80-year-old self. You don't know what you're going to be like or want to do when you're 80. We we easily do that like when we're children and we have a hobby as a child. I love to play with, you know, Play-Doh. 
That's not my definition of success now, but at five years old, if you said define success in your life, it might've been, I'm always going to play with Play-Doh. So, you know, we get it to a certain extent and then we get stuck in this kind of concept of adulthood because we don't have a roadmap for later life. We don't have, you know, an aspiration to look up to and say, okay, there are these paths that we can follow because we're told it's all downhill from there. It's so important. Yeah. The the whole idea of staying in touch with yourself every day, all the time to notice what is current for you, what feels good you know, and, 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 and how important it is to visualize our futures. I think about when I was young and I wanted to be an actress and I wanted to move to New York city and I could, I visualized what that I lived in West Texas, you know, I didn't know how that was going to happen, but I saw myself in New York. I saw myself doing that. And eventually I did make it happen. And I don't know that a person can, can, can create a new a new reality for themselves unless they have unless they daydream unless they vision it out and and so often i think we don't look beyond you know as kids like my my vision of myself was was let let me say this i knew that i wanted to move to new york because i didn't want to be 80 years old and sitting in a rocking chair and regretting that I didn't. So my image of myself as 80 is I'm sitting in a rocking chair. Let me just point that out, right? Yep, yep. My, I didn't have a vision for myself in my 50s. I didn't have any of that. Like there was no visualization of what that was going to look like. What was my older self going to look like? Yeah. And now I'm, you know, I, I did something probably about five years ago and now I'm realizing that I need to go back and redo it. Like, um, like what, what, what do I want my life to look like in 10 years? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, maybe it's not going to be the same. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, we have mechanisms in place to do that at other points in our life where, you know, we're constantly thinking about, well, what's next? What's my next goal? What do I want to achieve? And then I think we have, you know, this understanding and services and support to plan for quote retirement. But that tends to be more about financially preparing mm-hmm. for retirement. It has nothing to do with, well, what am I doing with myself and my life when I make that transition from not working full-time, for, from working full-time to not working full-time? So there's a there's a gap there that mm-hmm. we haven't quite filled. Um, and this whole concept of retirement, which has become an identity and a life stage, which is really a social institution, is part of that problem. Because what is retirement? It tells me what you used to do and who you used to be. But there's nothing forward thinking about it to say, this is who I'm becoming. What are you going to do? How are you going to spend your time? People thrive with purpose. I am so glad you brought this up. This was definitely on my list of things I wanted to talk (laughs) about is this whole idea of identifying as a retired person. What does that even mean? What does it mean? What does it tell me about you? about who you are, about what you do with your day, about what your goals are, about where you find joy, about where you find purpose. It's such a withdrawal-based term. Um, And again, with everything with ageism, you have to ask yourself who profits from it. Mm. And there have been industries that have greatly profited from it, from glamorizing retirement, from developing, you know, 55 plus communities where people can live. That's a whole mm-hmm. other story. <laughs> um, and I'm not saying they're all bad. I'm just saying we've literally built segregation of older people into the environment um, and talked about, you know, a life of leisure. People need more than leisure. People need purpose. So it's definitely kind of one of those things that I, I think has contributed to the place we are now and the lack of these role models that we have and this lack of these paths forward and maps that we have to later life, which I call elderhood. I like the term elderhood. I love it too. Talk, talk more about elderhood and and why the, why you love that term. I love it as a contradiction to retirement. And I love it because as a developmental psychologist, I'm very familiar with the stages of life 
but everybody is familiar with the stages of life. We talk about infancy and toddlerhood and childhood and adolescence and adulthood. Um, and then we just talk about adulthood until we just talk about later life or retirement. And I don't think either of those captures what is qualitatively and quantitatively different about development in later life. So to me, thinking about elderhood as a stage of development is a whole different way to look at later life because it really gets to the becoming part. It's not meant as another label. You know, I don't care what people call themselves. In fact, there's never going to be a word that fits until we destigmatize what it means to be old. We have to just be okay with being old. And then it won't matter what word we use to try and cover up the fact that we don't want to be old. But it's meant to say, you know, we have kind of developmental priorities in adulthood. Well, what if we could identify what those developmental priorities are in elderhood that look different? Maybe it's a purposeful slowing down. You know, maybe it's not successful aging as maintaining our abilities and our interests of midlife. Maybe it's new abilities, new ways of living, new contributions. So to me, it's just very strengths-based um, that talks about how we continue to evolve our entire lives. And that's what I love about it. I love it too. It, it goes back to something that you said a little bit earlier in our conversation, I think. Um, if I can pull the pull it out exactly what you said, I'll probably butcher it, but you talked about decline it's as decline. It's about decline and growth. Yep, the it, contradiction. It, yep. It's it's not binary. It's 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 not either or. It's it's both because have you? Um, there's a book by Frank Bruni. Have you read his book? I have not, but I'm writing this down. Oh my goodness, I'm going to have to look for the title real quick, real quick for you. But he um, he basically started to lose his sight. And it sent him down a whole self, you know, look, looking at himself and looking at that whole idea of ableism and what happens if you lose one ability. It's called The Beauty of Dusk on Vision Lost and Found. I think you'll love it. Okay, I wrote it down. And he started to interview other people who were losing their vision and 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 other and I believe other uh, other problems that they were coming up against and how that was then expanding their abilities in other ways. So there's a concept that I write about in the book. Um, it's a Botswanan concept, and I don't know if I say it right, but I say Botsofe, and that's basically what it says is that perhaps. We need to decline physically to realize our spiritual potential. Mm. So maybe it's purposeful. Maybe there's a purposeful shift and decline in one so that we can reach the pinnacle of growth in another. Maybe it does slow us down. Maybe it does free up something inside of us to, to help us heal ourselves or heal others or however you want to think about it. Wouldn't that be interesting, you know, to think about it? as as actually part of something bigger and purposeful. Mm. And I know that's super deep, but I I love that concept. And I think if you talk to people like Frank, he might, you know, see some of that. Yeah. So yeah. I would love to talk to him at some point. Very much so. Yeah. Oh, I got I got the chills just thinking about that idea that maybe the slowing down is on has purpose. Yeah. You know? But I think what What's wrapped up in it, um, I think, is this really deeply held fear of dependency. Mm. And I think that's a huge piece of this. Because Gi oh my gosh, can gigantic. I I'm sorry to interrupt by gigantic for <laughs> gigantic. me, that is a huge part of it. Yes. For everyone, absolutely. because we have again kind of created independence as the goal in life, but it's a myth because we are always interdependent always, always. We don't live life by ourselves. We're always relying on other people to help us navigate all kinds of things. And yet for some reason, we're very afraid of dependency. And we, I think we associate it as a failure. So if I need other people to help support me, I am less than, I'm going to be a burden. It's going to lead to burnout, 
you know, you think of all these words that we've associated with it. So I think part of that is what underlies some of this ableism um, and ageism is that, you know, we, we just live in this mythical sense of dependence, of independence that doesn't make sense and doesn't really exist. Oh my goodness. It's so spot on. I, my, my grandmother used to say that, you know, I think she said she didn't feel old until she turned 70 and she had a, she had rheumatoid arthritis. She had heart problems. She, she had a lot of physical uh, challenges. And I think one of the things that she used to tell me, she, she most hated about being old was not being independent you know, needing help. Cause I would go to help her plant flowers every spring, you know, and, you know, I think she, she used to be, you know, she used to have a rose garden. She used to get yeah. out there and do it herself. And yeah. that, that was a hard thing for her to let go of, I think. Oh, you know? I'm sure. Yeah. And we don't have the community systems or support in place um, to be able to help people you know, to, to do the things that they want to do and to maintain, um, that sense of, I can, I can be dependent on others and I can still do some of the things I want to do. Like we haven't invested in the infrastructure, so it's not the person's fault. It's that money goes other places. So the programs are underfunded and can't help as many people. So it's, again, it's kind of systemic and it's, it's structural. Yes. Oh my goodness. The separation of the generations, especially especially elders or you know seniors, I guess if you're going to use that term, you've got senior living communities and and they're taken and, and tucked away, and nobody sees them and yeah. there's no interaction. Um, there's uh, there's one person that I had on the podcast sometime earlier. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work. She's a millennial and. Uh, she started to realize that in the business world, there was this generational separation and she wanted to address that and close the gap um, between, you know, the, the old idea of mentorship had been from the top down from older people to younger people. And yes. she wanted to take that and, and have that go both ways. And she yes. started a platform called circle. I don't know. Her name is Charlotte Jap. I don't know if you're familiar with her. I am not, but another either. name I will write down. Yeah, yeah. I think you'll be a fan of her work. Um, but just love the idea of of not, you know, siloing ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's when I was talking about, you know, 55 plus and senior living, and that's exactly what we have done. We it's the only really normalized form of segregation that we have as age and ability segregation. And even if you look at senior living, it's a microcosm of separateness. So you have um, independent living, physically separated from assisted living, physically separated from skilled nursing, physically separated from memory care. Mm. And there's so much ableism that goes on within those communities because there's a lot of fear. I don't want to dine with the people that are in assisted living. They have walkers, they have wheelchairs. I don't want to have activities with the people that are in memory care because X, Y, Z. So again, it's, you know, we've built it into the, the environment. Um, yeah. And I get it. I'm not, you know, pointing fingers or blaming. I understand the rationale behind it, but there are really negative side effects. And then the, the question is, is how can we get creative about changing it? Exactly. And there are people on the front line who are, you know, working to do that, who are creating more inclusive spaces, because yeah. that's really it. It's about universal design and inclusivity, a place where anybody can see themselves, not older people, not disabled people, like curb cuts on a sidewalk. A curb cut on a sidewalk is just as useful for a mother with a stroller as it is for someone in a wheelchair or a walker. So, you know, we don't have to think of this as ability, disability, age. It's like, no, what can people easily navigate? And then you're kind of creating that, you know, diversity and age yeah. and intergenerational. Oh my goodness. You know, I, I think towards the end of your book, you talked a little bit about how the pandemic influenced what you're doing and how you're looking at things. Can you speak to that just a little bit? 
Yeah, the, the pandemic was one of the reasons I wrote the book when I did. I wrote it um, a couple months after it started. And it was one of the, I think, real indications for me that I see the generational rhetoric that we put out there as a form of ageism as well. So at first it was, you know, why should we care about this COVID? It's just an old person's disease. Younger people might get it, but they're not as much as risk. We should sacrifice older people for the sake of the economy, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then it got darker and it got to, you know, from okay boomer to hashtags of boomer remover. And it went into this whole generational kind of thing of, well, boomers have ruined everything anyway. So, you know, what does it matter? With pushback, blaming millennials then. Well, millennials aren't doing the right thing. They're on spring break and at the beach where they should be isolating. Okay, first of all, those were people in Gen Z, not millennials. I was going to say, I think those were Gen Z people, right? People forget, but millennials were in their 30s. (laughs) Millennials have taken a hard rap, man. They They really have. (laughs) So I think that, you know, that was all that age-based, generation-based stuff and blaming. And there's so much manufactured tension there that I really don't think exists. I really don't. Um, I think that we just fuel it with a lot of that. So those were some of the reasons that it was like, I need to write this book because I want to understand it more. And I actually really wanted to understand how did we get to this moment in time? And that's why I ended up taking kind of this historical view of where did we start and how did we get here? Because maybe it'll help us develop a roadmap for where to go from here. Um, But yeah, so the generational stuff is... It's so counterproductive. So and yet, counterproductive. Can I tell you? I'm yeah, going to tell on myself. I'm going to tell on myself. I do it. Do it just this week. And I'm I'm tr- I'm doing this work right. I'm trying. I am so trying to wrap my head around all this and and let go of these ageist ideas. And and still and and my point being that ageism goes both ways. Yes. Right. And I posted, and now I'm a little ashamed of uh, of a post that I put out there, which was um, a little skit that was done probably by millennials portraying uh, Gen Z kids having a breakup and using the kind of like the chat texting language that they use to communicate in all the urban dictionary type language that is, and it, it is hilarious the the terminal and, and ridiculous and and so you know part of me is like well we do need room for humor in our lives yeah. but at the same time i have to recognize that that is an ageism thing an ageist thing that i posted going in the opposite direction right <laughs> yeah and sometimes <laughs> it's that fine line between humor and you know it not being funny right. and there is definitely a place where we should poke fun at ourselves but it is and it does go both ways and i yeah. think that Millennials and Gen Z, according to my research that is under review, I hope will get published soon, um, they're feeling the brunt of it. They are really, really feeling a sense of being discriminated against because of Mm. their generation, not Mm. seen because of their generation. And the scary part to me is, at least in the study I just did, they also have the highest levels of internalized ageism. So I think that what we're not recognizing is there's potentially a cycle that we're creating. You know, yeah. we blame younger people and it feeds their fear of aging Absolutely. and dislike of older people. Whenever we other people, yep. we are we are creating those boundaries. And so if I feel othered, I'm going to have a pushback feeling towards the people who are othering me. Exactly. You know, it, it's just so, you know, exactly. an endless cycle. Exactly. And so we really are in the midst of that cycle. So the more we, you know, poke at millennials and we poke at Gen Z, the more we're actually feeding their sense of of ageism and dislike, which is not what we want to do. Yeah. So I think there's, there's more there. I think we need to unpack and don't be, you know, shaming or blaming yourself because this is a process in which we learn new things every day. Yeah. So you're on the path. We're all on the path. I never want anyone to blame themselves for what they did or what they thought. It's like, that's how we learn and grow. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even in the beauty industry right now, I think they are grappling with the idea of trying to 
be more inclusive about what what is beautiful. You know, you've got that pro-age term that I think some of the the beauty industry is trying to embrace. And yet there's still the underlying underpinnings of of wrinkles are bad and and they've got a product to sell. So yes. of course, you know, it's there. And like, how, how do we grapple with all that? You know? Yes. Ah, yes. That's a whole other topic, right? It's a whole other topic. And you're right. I think they really are starting to wrap their heads around this. Um, that's not easy. You know, how do you sell anti-wrinkle product when you're not saying anti-wrinkle? So I'm not a marketer. I don't know, but I think many of them are starting to recognize how they are contributing to ageism. And I'm very happy to hear that and see that and support them in finding new ways to shame us. (laughs) It's not based on age. (laughs) (laughs) That is funny. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, it's got it's so funny because it's gotten to the point where every time I like even get dressed up, I start to think about, well, am I doing this for myself? Am I doing this for for other like why? Why do I put on makeup? Why do I you know, I've stopped coloring my hair. I'm embracing the gray, you know, but it is very funny. You know, I still you know, there's still an underlying thing, no matter how much I talk about this, think about this, whatever that that feels like younger is, you know is is better of course and it's it's not it's not easy we judge ourselves we feel we're judged by other people you know people will ask me all the time if I dye my hair my ageist and I honestly don't think so I think it depends you know if you're being driven by a sense of of shame and you don't want to quote look old yeah there's internalized ageism that's going on there if you think that you are your best self with purple hair or red hair or whatever then no, maybe that's just you being the best version of you because it makes you feel great. So I think it has to do with motivation. And I don't think there's a blanket answer for everybody. Some people love makeup. It's just what makes them feel, again, the best version of themselves. Why shouldn't they go for it? Right. If that's what brings them joy. But we do need to, you know, I think, connect it to that sense of shame or, you know, judgment from others. And that's the place to, to examine it. But- no one answer. Yeah. I am hoping that, you know, if I make it to 90, I have plans to do some kind of vibrant hair color jo- yeah. dye job, you know, I don't know if it's going to be yeah. like fire engine candy apple red, or if it's going to be purple or whatever, but I'm, I'm going for it. If I yeah, make something it to 90. Yeah, something to look forward to. <laughs> if that could be part of your elderhood plan. I love it. I'll have to revisit it as I go. Exactly. See if that's still a goal. See if it still fits. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So um for anybody who is interested in reading the book, go ahead and give us the title again. Sure. It's Ageism Unmasked, Exploring Age Bias and How to End It. Awesome. And where where would you recommend that people come and find that? They can find it anywhere. It's Barnes and Noble, Amazon, uh, you can at your local bookstore. I'm always a fan of independent yeah. local bookstores. So that's that's the first place I would go. Fantastic. In fact, I'll try to put a, a link to a local bookstore uh, or a smaller online um, bookstore where they can get it in the show notes. Perfect. So we'll try Perfect. for that. And uh, is there it. anything else that you're excited about? I mean, you've got something in review right now for being published. So I'll have my fingers crossed for you on that one. And what else are you excited about that's coming up? Oh, I'm excited about so many things coming up. Again, the momentum is building. More and more conversations are happening. Um, Ashton and I and Christina Peoples and Elizabeth White. I don't know if you know the two of them. They're also- Is Elizabeth White, did she write the 55? 55 and Faking Normal. Yes, yes. I am dying to talk to her as well. Yeah. Christina is Jera What? That is her website and her blog. So the four of us are doing a keynote at the American Society on Aging Conference. We're doing a panel together with Janine Vanderberg, who's changing the narrative. That's a power panel right there. Oh, I'm so excited about it. So that is, thank you. That is going to be terrific. And I'll get to hang out with them and we can plot and plan, you know, how we all come together to continue to grow this movement, but lots to be really hopeful about. And I think that is the takeaway. 
That is absolutely my takeaway. I can't tell you the community since I've started this podcast, the community that I have been fortunate to build around me of people who are on this mission and beating this drum and doing the inquiry and thinking about this. And that to me is so exciting. It really does feel like a movement. It really does. And we get to, you know, meet our people along the way. And what could be better than that? Right on. And I want to say part of part of what drives me, and I think you might share this, is the is trying the idea that what we do right now can open up doors for the younger generations to not be thinking about themselves in this way by the time they get to be our age, that they have more freedom around this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if there's one takeaway, everyone listening can make a friend that's a different age than they are and pass the conversation along. Value, really value both younger and older people and what they have to say. Think of mentoring as something that's reciprocal, as you were talking about. It's never unidirectional, right? We're giving to each other in relationship. So if everybody can do that, then we're going to move this on even faster. Mm. There you go. It's a perfect place to end it. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. It was truly a pleasure. Well, there you have it. We are all aging. We will be older tomorrow than we are today. If we're lucky enough to still be wandering the planet in 10, 20, or 30 years, we'll be old. (laughs) But what does that really mean? One person's old age doesn't and shouldn't look like the next person's old age. And we have a choice in how we look at it. We have an opportunity now to start redefining and reimagining what we want our elderhood to look like. If we take a look at our thoughts about it now and challenge those thoughts, we stand a chance of choosing new ways of looking at it. I'll leave you with one of my favorite quotes from Tracy. We have the power individually to define success for ourselves, and I think that we also have the power to change that definition over time. If you want more information about Tracy Gendron or want to get a copy of her book, I will have all the information for you in the show notes along with links to some of the authors we talked about, like Frank Bruni and Becca Levy. And on a funny little note, today is March 1st of 2023 and it is actually the one-year book anniversary for Tracy's book so that's kind of cool I highly recommend it so if you want more information just go to latebloomerliving.com and look for episode 133 thanks so much for listening I hope you have a fantastic week stay safe and well talk soon